0: Turn in God's Word, Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to conclude chapter 1 this morning. Really the introduction to Second uh, Peter. In chapter 2, he's going to finally begin to talk to us about false doctrine, uh, heresy, how to, how to see it, how to know it how to discern it. He's gonna talk to us about false teachers. Uh, I told you when we began this, um, 2 Peter is a very um, applicable book to the world where you and I live today because the world is full of heresy, full of false teachers. And so to be an authentic Christian, you have to be grounded and you're grounded in the word of God with all the religious philosophies in the world, how do you and I know for sure that Christianity is the right one? Is there any concrete evidence for accepting the teachings of Christianity over any other religion? Can you be certain that if you place your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that your sins are going to be forgiven, and can you be sure of uh, an eternal home in heaven? How do you tell the truth from error? That's what Second Peter is all about. And, and sometimes you'll ask somebody for some information, and they'll give you that information. What's the next thing you say to them? "Are you sure? Are you sure? And they say, well, yeah, I'm sure. And then you might say, well, are you sure that you're sure, right? Well, the things that we're dealing with today are things that are so very important, heaven and hell, death and life, Christ and Satan. There's no room for doubt here. There's no room for equivocation. There's no room for vacillation. And I want you to know today that you're sure, that you're sure, that you're sure. And so when you begin to look at this passage, in the first chapter of 2 Peter, he's given us the answer to all these questions up front. He told us about his own experience. You'll remember last week, he talked about his own experience on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and the other two disciples. And so now he's going to tell us that an even better support for the claims of Jesus Christ, better than your experience. We don't trust experience, we don't trust feelings. What are we grounded in? The written word of God. So let's stand together in honor and reverence to the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word, let's begin in verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this first. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Father, we put a great deal of emphasis on the trustworthiness, the authority, the inerrancy of your word. And so as we study it this morning, speak to us by your spirit, through your word, that we may be grounded in that word ready to give a defense of what we believe and why we believe it, the surety of our faith. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 19, Peter talks about the prophetic word confirmed. You may have a translation that you're reading from that uses the phrase, um, a more sure word of prophecy. That may be how yours reads. But what Peter is talking about here, and you have to remember this from the start, what was Peter's Bible? The Old Testament. The, Old, the New Testament hadn't been written. Peter's writing the New Testament. He doesn't know that. But he's writing the New Testament as he writes Second Peter. He didn't get up one morning and just say, you know what, I think I'll start writing some letters and it'll be the New Testament. So what he's talking about when he says you have a, uh, the prophetic word confirmed, he's talking about the Old Testament. And so he's urging his readers to pay close attention to what the writers of the Old Testament had to say because he would suggest, and I would agree, that the Old Testament is a body of truth that you can trust Um, how were the Old Testament saints saved? Same way you're saved, by grace through faith. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah. Uh, They had been promised that the Messiah was coming, so they believed God's promise was going to take place. So they're looking forward to Jesus. How were you saved? You're looking backward toward Jesus. That's the only difference in the two of us. They were looking forward to the promise. You and I are looking backward to the promise. But we're all saved the same way, by grace through faith. And so he begins to tell them about how the writers of the Old Testament uh, wrote not of their own uh, volition, but they were men of God under the control of the Holy Spirit, and he says this Body of truth, your old covenant, is what we would call it, is a beacon of light in the midst of a world of darkness, of sin, of error. And we could go back. We're not going to do it this morning, but we could go back and we could look at just the prophetic announcements concerning the first coming of Jesus. And those prophetic fulfillments give undeniable proof. So even if you didn't have the New Testament, you could still get saved with the Old Testament because everything in the Old Testament is absolutely true. And all the prophecies of the Old Testament came true in who? In Jesus Christ. We derive much of our doctrinal belief from the New Testament, of course, and that's the basis for the gospel. But the basis of the gospel itself is rooted in the Old Testament, written under the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit. The Old Testament is historically accurate. It's not a history book, but everywhere that it speaks about history, it speaks accurately and truthfully. The Old Testament's not a science book, but... Every place where the Old Testament speaks about science, it speaks accurately and it speaks truthfully. So when the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, you can believe that. When it says that God created everything that we know anything about in six days, you can absolutely believe that. And it was six 24-hour periods of time, just like our day. And so the world is not billions of years old. There's absolutely, listen, young people, there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that the world is is billions of years old. The world is about 6,000 years old. It's a very young, we're a very young planet, very young society. You can believe everything that's written there. Because the New Testament hadn't been written, Peter's writing it, He refers specifically to the Old Testament, but 2,000 years later today, when we sit here this morning, we believe not only the Old Testament to be the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God, but we believe the New Testament is as well. So when I talk about the reliable witness of truth, when I talk about the truth claims of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm talking about the entire canon of Scripture, From Genesis to Revelation, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's how we'll proceed. There are three words I want you to write down this morning, three words that I think come out of this passage that will help you in understanding the Bible a little bit better, grounding yourself, uh, having confidence that the Bible is trustworthy uh, to anybody who is is seeking spiritual answers in their life. Three words. Here they are. Inspiration, illumination, confirmation. Those are the three words I want you to write down. We're going to talk about them individually. Inspiration, illumination, confirmation. Let's look at them individually. The men who wrote the Bible recorded the word of God. So let's talk about inspiration. You will hear people say from time to time, When they're talking about the Bible, and you'll hear churches talk about this, um, especially of a more liberal uh, ilk than I am, they will say something like this. The Bible contains the Word of God. Well, I I think words mean something. Uh, So you have to pay very close attention to what people say so that you understand exactly what they mean. Uh, I don't believe that the Bible contains the Word of God. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. See, if it just contains the Word of God, that means I can write down whatever I think God said. No, this is the Word of God. These are the words that God gave to the writers of the Bible and they wrote down, not their interpretation of God's Word, they wrote down God's Word. So this Bible doesn't contain God's word, it is God's word. Every bit of it from Genesis to Revelation. This is not the ideas of uh, Moses and and, uh, David and Ezekiel and any others who wrote in the Bible. This is not their ideas. They wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and so it guarantees that this word is accurate and true. Peter describes that relationship between human authors and, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 21, he says, no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by who? Holy Spirit. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. That Greek word that we translate as the word moved is a nautical term. And sometimes it was used uh, to picture a ship uh, that was in full sail moving across the water uh, very quickly. The wind is in the sails and it's just it's blowing and the ship is just moving along. So that describes very figuratively what happened to the Bible writers. They hoisted their sails. The Spirit of God filled those sails and moved them along as they wrote the Scripture. They were receptive to the breath of God. That's inspiration. The very breath of God. They were obedient to the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so all the authors, every one of them, retained their own style. They retained their own vocabulary. But every single one of them received the word of God without error. And they recorded it. In referring to the Old Testament, here's what John Calvin said. They were moved not because they were out of their minds, but because they dared nothing by themselves, but only in obedience to the guidance of the Spirit, who held sway over their lips as in his own temple. Look at verse 20. Knowing first, Peter says, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That word private is used in the New Testament 114 times and it means of itself or um, of its own. The word interpretation actually means untying something or unfolding something. So Here's what that private interpretation means. Some people think that this phrase is talking about how to read the Scripture. It's not talking about how to uh, read it. It's talking about where it came from. We're talking about origin here. So Scripture didn't just unfold itself. Scripture didn't come about by osmosis. Scripture is not somebody's ideas that they just started writing down. It didn't come about because these writers got together and said, let's let's get a plan together and I'll write some books and you write some books and we'll put them all together and that'll be a Bible. It didn't just happen. It did not unfold by itself. So that's what Peter's talking about when he says, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Some people think, uh, that, that's talking about understanding the Bible, but as I said, it's talking about origin. It's saying that this, this book didn't grow out of itself, it didn't happen by spontaneous combustion, it didn't just unfold. So, how did the Bible come about? Well, look again at verse 21. Look at the, that word moved, underlining it. It's that term of how the ship sails to be borne about or pushed along by the wind. So Peter, remember, what was Peter's job? He was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. He's a man of the sea. So what he's saying is the writers of the Bible had the Holy Spirit wind in their sails. They were listening to, they were obedient to the Holy Spirit. They're not speaking of their own will. They are, it is God through his spirit guiding them to write what they wrote. Remember what Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All scripture is given by Inspiration of God. That word inspiration means what? God breathed. It is breathe, This book is breathed by God himself. It's his breath. It's his word. Paul says it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The prophet Ezekiel, pointed out the difference between true prophets and false prophets. Here's what he said. Woe unto foolish prophets who follow their own spirit, but they see nothing. They follow their own spirit, but they see nothing. Listen, if anybody gets up in front of you and wants to teach you or preach to you, and they say, the Lord told me, the very next words out of their mouth better be Scripture because the Lord's not telling anybody anything new today. There's a lot of guys on TV, a lot of gals on TV who say, well, I had this vision, I had this dream, and the Lord gave me this new revelation. Let me tell you something about revelation. If it's new, it ain't true. You can write that down. If it's new, it ain't true. And if what they say is already contained in the Bible, it ain't necessary. All right, you get that? If it's new, it ain't true. If what they say the Lord told them is already in the Bible, it's not necessary. God's already told you. Why would he have to tell you again? In Hebrews, the Bible says that God has finally spoken to us for the final time in who? His son, Jesus Christ. So we've got to be very careful that we understand these people who wrote this are not speaking according to their own will. It is God guiding them. So your Bible is not the thought of man. The Bible didn't come about by its own unfolding. The word of God surpasses human thought. It is not merely a human book, it's a divine book. Friedolf Nansen explored the Arctic. He was Norwegian. Back in the days when uh, Nansen was exploring, they didn't have depth finders. So when he got to the Arctic, he wanted to see how deep the Arctic Ocean was, and so he took out a rope and he let that rope down into the water to see how deep it was and the fathom of rope didn't hit the bottom so he pulled it back up and in the ship's log that day he wrote deeper than that so the next day he doubled the size of his rope doubled the length of his rope he let that down it didn't touch the bottom came back into the ship's log that day said deeper than that third day took every piece of rope he had on the boat Tied it all together, let it down, still didn't hit the bottom. He wrote in the ship's log, deeper than that. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want to tell you. You can let out all the rope you got in your mind and you will never touch the bottom of God's word. It'll always be deeper than that. Psalm 92 verse 5 says, O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You're never going to completely understand God. You're never going to learn everything there is to know about the Bible. The Bible surpasses human knowledge. Isaiah would say, God's thoughts are not your thoughts. God's ways are not your ways. His ways are higher, more. You can't understand them. You can't comprehend them. You see, if you could comprehend God, God's what? Not necessary. If you can completely understand him, he's not necessary. And that's the reason I love to study the Bible. A little child can study it and be blessed. And yet I've been studying the Bible now for over 40 years seriously and I haven't even started. I haven't even started. Charles Spurgeon, after preaching for 40 years, Charles Spurgeon, arguably the prince of preachers, the greatest preacher of uh, several generations, but after preaching for 40 years, here's what Spurgeon said about this. Nobody ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Brethren, it is inexhaustible A long life will only suffice, listen, to skirt the shores of this great continent of life. The word is like its author, infinite, immeasurable, without end. In other words, the longer you study it, the more you'll realize you don't know everything you thought you knew. You're never gonna come to a point where you can say, well, we've already studied Genesis, I don't need to study Genesis again. Oh, I've already studied. I know the, I know the book of, uh, of, of Luke. I don't need to study it again. No. You'll study it all your life, and you'll study it over and over and over and over and over again, and you'll understand it's always deeper than what you have gotten to at that point. That's inspiration. It's God-breathed. The second word is is illumination. That's a characteristic of the Bible, illumination. What does that mean? It means it gives light in darkness. Brings spiritual illumination to those people who are groping around in the blindness of sin. In verse 19, look at it, it says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. That word dark um, means dry, it means dirty. We get our English word dingy from that word, all right? So as Christians, where do you and I live? We live in the filthiness of a sin-darkened world. And so where do we get our illumination? Where do we get our light? Word of God. You get it from the Bible. You're not going to get it from anywhere else. You're going to get it from the Word of God. In in, in verse number um, 19, so it says, uh, which you will do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star, underline that, and write out the word Jesus beside that. The morning star is Jesus. Malachi chapter four, verse two refers to him as the son of righteousness. So how is it that Jesus shines in your heart? Well, according to Peter, he shines in our hearts through the prophetic word confirmed. For you have the prophetic word confirmed how does Jesus shine in our heart? As we know the Bible, he shines through us. Peter's talking about the sunrise of the soul, the illumination of the light when by the word of God the Holy Spirit came into your heart and he pulled back the curtain of night and he pinned it with the star of hope and he flooded your soul with the sunlight of the love of God. You were walking around and I was walking around in a dark place. In my sin, I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And the Holy Spirit of God used the Word of God to open up that darkness and shine in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens to you, when it truly happens to you, you'll stand up and you'll sing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We're just beginning to see a little bit of the light down here. One day we'll see the whole thing. But it is the Word of God that illuminates your life. It is the Word of God that brings light into that darkness. One of these days, I'm going to die. Jesus doesn't come first. If I'm on my deathbed and I wasn't in a car accident or something like that, you know what I want? I want somebody to stand by my bed, and if I can't see how to read it, I want somebody to read the Word of God to me. I don't want you to read Progressive Farmer. I don't want you to read the TV guide. I want you to read the Word of God. When I die, if you're around, you're invited to my funeral. I know it's not polite to invite people to somewhere where you're not even gonna be, but I'd be glad to have you here. Don't pull down the shades. Don't have it dark and dingy. No, lift up all the shades, let there be light, and sing wonderful songs like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And I hope somebody will walk by that casket and they'll take this Bible and make sure that it's under my arm. And when they lower me down into that ground, I want you to know this preacher is going to be standing on the Word of God. And one day that grave's gonna open up, and I'm gonna slam right up out of that thing, and I'm gonna get up out of that ground, and I'm gonna be standing on God's word, which says it lives and abides forever. And at the resurrection of the saints of God, I'll jump out of the ground riding on the promises of God's word. Hallelujah. Illumination. You don't get the light. Because you sing a certain song. You don't get the light because you have a certain feeling. You don't get the light because of anything else except the Word of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make you a child of God. Inspiration. This book is God-breathed. Illumination. You study this all your life and light will just continually be revealed to you. Your life will be illuminated. Third thing, confirmation. That's the last one. That's going to be shorter. and You're probably glad of that. The biblical writers were inspired and they did bring the light of God's truth to the sin of a darkened world. I am thankful today that I don't have to stand on my experience to prove something is true I don't have to take your word for it I don't have to stand on your experience I don't have to stand on my visions I don't have to stand on my feelings I stand firmly on the word of God we live in a world today where Christians have lost their um, their willingness their desire to even try and discern anything we live in a world today where if it looks like it's Christian or it claims to be Christian, we accept it as Christian. And it's not. You heard me say this before, just because it's in a Christian bookstore don't make it something you ought to read. Just because somebody claims to be a Christian artist don't mean you need to listen to them. My Lord, there's a big debate going on. I've not gotten involved in it, and I'm not going to right here, but there's this big debate going on because of some uh, big preacher up north somewhere uh, decided that um, I don't know what his first name is. Colbert, you know who I'm talking about. That guy's on TV. Um, he, he, he does a late night show. Uh, Colbert. Uh, he's one of the most filthy um, comics I think I've ever heard. Uh, he claims to be a Christian, and so um, there's this big thing on on how he's taking his Christianity and he's making it palatable for the masses. A bunch of junk. Suppose you were to die, and you stand before the Lord, and the Lord Almighty says to you, "Why should I let you into heaven?" You say, "Well, Lord, I'm a Christian." He said, "Well, how do? What makes you think you're a Christian?" Well, Lord, I was sleeping one night, and I had a vision of an angel, and this angel appeared in my bedroom. And, and he was bright, I'm telling you. He was a bright angel. He was shining, and he was a holy angel of light. And that angel said to me, I have come to deliver a personal message to you. And that message that I want to tell you is, you're a child of God, and you're going to heaven. And that's how I know. That's how I know you're going to let me into heaven. Because I had a vision of an angel, and the angel said, uh, I'm here to tell you tonight you're going to heaven. And you know what the Lord's going to say? Lord's going to turn over to his angel, maybe standing next to him. say, would you mind uh, opening the book of life and see if his name's written in there? And suppose they don't find your name. You say, wait a minute. I don't understand. You sent an angel to me. Tell me I was saved. I got a feeling the devil's going to be standing around somewhere real close by and he's going to be laughing at you. He's going to point an old fiery finger right in your face, and he's going to say, you fool. That wasn't an angel of God. That was me. I appeared to you. I'm the one who told you you were saved when you weren't. You say, preacher, can that happen? Could that really happen? Absolutely, it could happen right down to the Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That's why you can't trust visions and dreams. You better stand on the Word of God. You stand right here. Listen, when I stand before the Lord, the Lord's going to say to me, Keith, why should I let you into heaven? I'm going to say, because I'm a Christian. He said, what makes you think you're a Christian? I'm going to say, well, the Bible says... In Acts chapter 16 verse 31 believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and that's what I did and so I've got your word on it I didn't make this up no angel came and told me I've got you said it Lord you said in your word that if I would believe on Jesus Christ I'd be saved and that's what I did and the Lord's gonna say come on in because I'm standing on the word of God. You, wanna, you want me to tell you where my assurance comes from? My assurance doesn't come from angels. It doesn't come from visions. It doesn't come from dreams. It doesn't come from uh, feelings. It comes from the word of God. There is confirmation right here that I am saved. It's where it comes from. The confirmation of my salvation is not that I feel like I'm saved. Some days I get up and I don't feel very saved. You know what I have to do? I have to go back into the Word of God, and it says, Oh, yes, whosoever shall believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Well, if I did that. Then you're saved. had not got anything to do with your feelings. You say, Well, I had a dream. And I dreamed this thing and that thing. No, that ain't no, you just ate something before you went to bed. You ought not to eat. That'll cause you to have all kinds of nightmares. You stand not on feelings. You stand not on visions. You stand not on dreams. You stand firmly on the Word of God. It is inspired. means it's God-breathed. This is exactly what God wanted you to have. And so you got it. It is infallible. So when on every Sunday morning I say let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's inspired, God breathed, infallible, it is not capable of having an error in it. Inerrant, there are no errors here. You read every word of it, every single word is true. Everything the Bible says is true. Not only is it free of error, it's incapable of having an error because if it's got an error in it then what happens god lied god lied anybody here willing to take that on you want to argue that one with me i believe god's a liar i'm going to step back you know what i'm saying This book is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It illuminated the sin in my life and brought in the light of the world. And I am as sure as I am standing here in front of you today that when I die, I'm going to heaven, not because of anything that I have done, but because the word of God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I stand not on anything. I'm grounded in nothing. Listen, when, when I listen to music, I listen to a song, you know what I'm listening for? Is it true to Scripture? If it's true to Scripture, I'll sing it all day long. If it's not, I say pitch it out the door. You're just wasting your time. You know, when I pick up a book and I read a book, I look to see, I, I've read some books and I've picked up, gone about seven or eight pages into it and I said, this is a bunch of junk. It's trying to contradict what the Bible says. I pitched that book into trash can. I've got 2,600 volumes in my library in this office right back here. 2,600 books are in that library back there. All of them point to the Word of God because I'm grounded on God's Word.